It is so good to be with you. I'm going to ask you if you just remain standing a little longer as I read Pastor's text this morning from Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3. And then we're going to jump over to Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1 and 2. As they get that on the screen this morning, I just want to just, if you would just take a moment to show some appreciation to this worship team and there's a production team in the back they're faithful they're here early every week and they make things happen you have no idea how stressful it is to do what they do and we're thankful for you this morning and production team i can't see you right now but i just want you to know we are thankful for you this morning ezekiel chapter 8 verse 3 as i said then we'll jump over to chapter 47 1 and 2 and this is what the word of the lord says and he put forth from, excuse me, and he put forth the form of a hand, hand and took me by a lock of mine head and the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. Jumping over to chapter 47, one and two. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood towards the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house and at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out of waters on the right side. Lord, we're thankful to be in your house this morning. We're thankful for your word and we embrace your word today. We embrace what you have to say to us today. Let us open our hearts for the word of God and let it go out and do what it is supposed to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Everybody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good to be with you this morning. Good to see everybody out on this icy day. We want to thank you for coming out, and we want to thank Sunday School for the understanding of having to cancel that because what happens, we try to work all Saturday in different ways of cleaning up, and then it freezes overnight, and then we get here early, and we have to contend with ice and snow and, and trying to open doors and different things, so it gives us an extra hour of our staff to work to prepare for this event, so we thank you for that. I know that you're kind of excited, maybe, or maybe you're wondering what in the world or what kind of a scriptures have he chosen as his text, and this morning I got good news and I got some bad news. First of all, these texts I've read to you because that's what we're going to be diving into, but we're not going to be able to get to them this morning. The Lord just has overwhelmed me with this sermon. It's going to be in two parts, and I'm going to have to give my introduction today for next week's sermon. And so we probably won't get into these verses that much, but we will next week. So I'll put them out there so that you'll be able to study them this week and get your commentaries out and see what your commentaries say about where we're going out of these passages of scriptures. They're very weird. They're very different. So we want you to study them. As you know, I'm in a series entitled Rise Up. And to use the word rise up, I'm referring to becoming awake, to stand upright, and to fight for the cause of the kingdom of God. And we also need to be fighting for our country. How many believe that? Can I have an amen? It's not only a time to pray, which is our greatest warfare. We know that prayer is the greatest
greatest warfare that we can do. But it's a time to cry out. It's a time to not be intimidated and lift up our voices and declare the transgressions of the people of America. I'm not talking about a flesh and blood fight, but I'm talking about a spiritual fight. I'm talking about a spiritual revolution. God wants us to start a spiritual revolution. I want to be a catalyst to that. I want to be one of the forefront that begins to start a spiritual revolution within our country. If we have said it once, we've said it numerous, numerous of times, and that is that, that our fight is not against one another. Our fight is against principalities, powers, and against rulers of darkness, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We've already concluded that we are fighting many, many different kinds of spirits, but one of the dominant spirits that we're fighting is the spirit of Baal, also known as the spirit of Jezebel. Now, I want to tell you something. In order for us to fight the right kind of warfare, we're going to know what, have to know what kind of enemy that we're fighting. We're going to have to know who that enemy is, what's their strategy, what, is the, what do they are like, what do they believe, what do they preach, what do they teach, and so on. But first of all, Baal worship, though it originated during the time of the judges, it was at its highest point during the reign of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel over Israel. Jezebel had been named the champion queen of Baal worship. She's also claimed ownership to it because of the spirit and the title that's been given to her by Scripture, and that is the spirit of Jezebel. Everybody says, oh, there's no spirit of Jezebel. You Pentecost is over No, go to the book of Revelations. He even talks about the spirit of Jezebel that comes against the church. God has brought awareness to us that there is a true spirit of Jezebel. It's a wicked spirit, folks. It's a mighty spirit, and it's hard to fight, and it's something that you and I got to get ready for. Under Jezebel's influence, King Ahab not only sanctioned idolatry, but he also financed it from the tax revenue collected from the people. He would take of the people, and then he would fund that which was against the people. Doesn't that sound familiar today? Is it the th Look at the things that uh, our, our, our present leadership is what he's using our taxpayers' money with. He's taking our own money, and then he's fighting against us with that same money. Can I have an amen? Number one is abortion, which is nothing more than Baal's sacrifice, sacrificing children for the cause of self. The philosophy today is if you have a child or if you begin to get pregnant, and if that child's going to cramp your lifestyle or that child's going to cause you to not be able to live the way that you want, then just have it aborted. Just have it killed. It's called self. It's called child sacrifice for self. And then number two, there's another thing they're using a lot of our tax money from that we don't pay attention to. It's called climate change. We are spending billions and billions and trillions of dollars on playing God, trying to change nature, trying to change our climate. And Bill was also worshipped as the God of fertility. And we have bought into this lie of Bell worship. Folks, the next court team, it's already been beginning to be exposed. And the next lockdown could be over climate change. And it's nothing but a big scam under the umbrella of a Bell worship. And then there's the LGBT community, which is nothing more than sexual perversion that was promoted in Bell worship. This was also seen in the vineyard that Jezebel got for Abraham, uh, Ahab. I preached on this some time ago. You remember when Naboth had a vineyard and Ahab wanted it, the king of Israel, and he went to get it and he wouldn't sell it to it. And Ahab come back pouting and crying and saying, he wouldn't sell it to me, old Jezebel. Said, well, aren't you the king? And she said, get out of my way, old man. I'll take care of this. And she did. She had false charges brought up on Naboth. He was killed. And then she ended up with a vineyard. Oh, our one historian writes and tells us that she got the vineyard for him so that he could have all kinds 
signs of perverted sexual action and along with Jezebel herself participating in them. It was a garden, they called it the garden of fantasy, orgies, homosexuality, lesbianism, pedophilia, and bestiality, and every imaginable sexual perversion was even rampant there. And let me tell you, everybody quenches when you talk about child sex. They're trying to get that passed within America right now, all over the country. Everybody says, oh, you're kidding me. Watch the news. It's unbelievable. Who would have ever thought we would have ever come to this place within our life? And as I preach this, people are quenching. You hear those kinds of words, and it's perverted, and and we want to ignore it. We want to put it under the rug. We don't want to deal with it. You better deal with it, or it's going to deal with you. It's going to come into your home. It's going to come into your church, and it's going to destroy you. Are you listening to me here today? We are facing some hideous things, and it's called demonic demonic possession. Can I have amen? The worship of Baal was advancing in Israel because of the unlimited support provided by the money, which was a scheme from the Queen Jezebel herself. Jezebel was actually the first lady of the Society of Baal Worship, and she was so proud of it. She's arrogant. She's boastful. She's a powerful woman. Ahab was actually leading the nation in corrupt worship to Satan as a result of the influence of this one woman, his pagan wife. The Jezebel spirit is all about the spirit of control, the spirit of power, the spirit of greed, and the spirit of a twisted sexuality and identity. Does that not sound familiar within our land today? We have children that don't even know who they are. They're born male, but everybody's telling them they're female. Come on, somebody. We're having a spirit of Jezebel in our land, and we're not even paying attention to where it's coming from. This thing is not normal. It is of the spirit of Jezebel. Come on, let's wake up. It's a spirit. Everybody wants to take them to a doctor. Everybody wants to analyze them. Everybody wants to counsel them. They want to shoot drugs into them. They don't need that. They need an exorcism by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church has got to stand up and show the true authority and the true power and claim the things for what they are and not be afraid of it because you get criticism and you get beat up. After this message today, I'll go through hell on email or up on, on, on the internet as a result of what I'm saying. I'm not backing down one inch. This is a spirit and we got to treat it as a spirit. We don't need to pump our kids full of narcotics and drugs. We need to give them a dose of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? It is disguised all under the deception of freedom, pleasure, and human rights. It's your human right. Come on, somebody. The nation, oh, am I preaching okay this morning? The nation that gave honor and respect to Jehovah, which was Israel, gave respect to Yahweh through pure worship and holy reverence, is now worshiping Satan himself. After the death of Ahab, there was never a good king of Israel. And matter of fact, did you know this? Israel never had a good king. They all, every single one of them, done evil in the sight of the Lord. The only kings that Israel had that was good was when they were a united kingdom. David was a good king, and Solomon was good in his youth, but he turned out bad in his old age. And during the reign of Jeroboam, the kingdom was split. A northern kingdom would be formed known as Israel. A southern kingdom would be formed known as Judah. So now we have a split kingdom going on. Rehoboam would be the king of the southern, and Jeroboam would be the king of the northern. Jeroboam would be the king of Judah. 
and Rehoboam and will be the king of Judah, and Jeroboam will be the king of Israel. I get those two mixed up a lot of times. I don't know if you do. Rehoboam, Jeroboam, amen. My, and yeah, that's pretty normal because my mom got us kids mixed up. Keith, Kevin, Kent, she'd call me Keith 90% of the time. Amen. But even though Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and there were, or, or, and there were, and there were many, many years between him and King Jehoiakim of our text, who reigned in the southern kingdom of Judah during the time of Ezekiel, many, many years between them. Yet the spirit of Baal, though Elijah had conquered and won over the Baal worshippers and put it kind of what you would call in remission, yet we see it was never really truly conquered. But it was still much alive. Even though all those years from Ahab all the way down to Ezekiel, between the reign of King Ahab and Israel and Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, where Ezekiel's at presently, there is uh, kings of Judah that spanned, uh, there were 15 kings that spanned over many, many years. 15 different kings, many years between the two. And yet the spirit of Jezebel creeps back up. You got to watch the enemy. Right when you think he's dead, if you begin to just not pay attention to him, he'll revive himself. This is what happened over these many years. There were five good kings. There was Jehoshaphat of Judah, Uzziah of Judah, Jotham of Judah, Hezekiah, and Josiah, all of them from Judah. There were two that done good in their youth, but then they turned evil in their old age. And then there were eight kings that done evil in the sight of the Lord out of the 15 between Ahab and Jehoiakim. And we see that after the span of all those years, that the spirit of Baal that was entrenched within that northern kingdom, when the kingdom of Judah let down their guard by having these eight evil kings, just an eight generational kings there, it began to slip over and begin to dominate in Judah as well. Amen? I don't have time to elaborate on this, but listen to me. I'm here to tell you we cannot even phantom, nor can we even com comprehend all of the evil spirits that's been unleashed within our country due to our evil leaders that has let, down, let us down an ugly path and has caused America to let down our, her hedge. And you know what's happened? The serpent has bit our nation. That which was only seen within th third world countries and manifested uh, uh, those demonic oppressions that was dis uh, manifested in those countries is now being seen and experienced right here in the streets of the United States of America. Our seal has been broken and we're not only being attacked spiritually, we're under judgment as a nation as well, just like Israel was. We're always wondering why there seems to be no spiritual freedom, no spiritual liberty, and everything that we do seems to be a struggle, seems to be a fight, and seems to be a warfare. I hear preachers and pastors and churches all the time say, we're wondering where's the days of breakthrough at? One trial right after another. Everything seems to be going wrong. And the church seems to just be struggling just like that of the world. It's because there's a plague of darkness invading and looming over our land. And we are fighting the fight of our lives right now. We have more principalities and powers fighting us today than we've ever had in the history of our country. As a matter of fact, the Lord gave me a vision one time when we were on Ninth and Cedar. We were having an explosion. It just took off. Things were happening. You walk in, it was dripping. It was hot. You, I mean, you just walk into the house and bam, Holy Ghost was there. There were people getting saved across the street. 
and people and people were repenting and walking in from they were driving by and would repent and walk into the church and get saved we had two women that got saved and got all miraculously uh, 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 just overwhelmed with joy and uh, they come and join the church at night we had the church membership and we never seen them again because they lived way off we found out they just got all excited we was having revival like crazy and all of a sudden it seemed like the brakes began to be put on that revival and it began to really be a struggle. It was struggle to preach. It was struggle to sing. It was struggle to serve. Everywhere you turn, there was a fight. There was affliction. There was sickness. There was, man, everything in the world just turned upside down. And I went into prayer and the Lord never got anything, so I went into fasting. And I started praying and fasting as a leader and I said, what in the world's going on? And the Lord gave me a vision. And he showed me ch a church after church after church, big cathedrals and small churches. And, and he showed me one demon just standing like this with his hands folded, looking down over the congregation uh, right at the altar. And the Lord said, that demon has these churches bound. And because of you having revival in your church, Satan, the prince and the power of the air, has summoned those demons to leave their territorial spot and come and help fight what's going on at Ninth and Cedar. Now listen to me. And I thought, oh my God. And I said, God, what, well then what's going to happen? He said, I'm going to allow this to happen for a season and you'll be blessed for it. Because what happened was when them enemies left those churches to come and fight us, there were some of those churches that never even knew the demon left. They just still stayed back. But there were others that had breakthroughs because they no longer had demonic oppression. We gave them a time of rest and a time to where they could get refocused and get the spirit of the Lord in their churches because we were fighting their territorial demon. And the Lord just began to reveal to me this week how the, the enemy, the demonic oppression and the, you know, there's only so many demons and there's so many fallen angels and they're territorial. How many knows they're They have assignments. How many knows that the devil is not omnipresent? How many knows that demons are not omnipresent? There's a demon signed to this congregation. There's demons signed to your life and they're territorial. And yet, the Lord showed me how that these demons have been so successful in these third world countries and has bound them to where the people are automatically caught up in the systematic thinking of a demonic oppression and demonic government, and they're governed by the sense of evil. So now they don't have to work very hard. You know what's happening? A lot of those demons have been summoned to America because America has been a thorn in the devil's side ever since it was birthed. It was birthed being one nation under God. We had covenant with God himself. The difference between Israel and America, there's only one thing. We're both covenant people with God. God chose Israel, but America chose God. Can I have an amen? Oh, somebody help me. Pre I'm preaching, man. I, I feel this thing. Woo! I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the anointing breaks the yoke and the bondage that's upon us. And so what happens? Now all these demonics that were so powerful where strange things happen and lunatics and demon possessions begin to filter the streets of third world countries. Now those same demons that was powerful enough to cause that have been unleashed. They've left those countries and they're coming to America to try to hinder and destroy and kill us who are a covenant people with God. 
Oh, Lord, help me. How many feel the weightiness of the Holy Spirit right here, right now? Oh, hello, my son. We're living in the last days, and Satan knows he has but a short time, and he's seen the opportunity to attack due to our broken down walls, and believe me, he's attacking us. The question is, what can we do about it? Well, I hear the Holy Spirit saying, rise up, O palace of praise, my remnant church. I'm going to pour out and I'm going to give you an anointing and a spirit of Ezekiel in these last days. That's a word of the Lord for us. I said God's going to give us the anointing of an Ezekiel and the spirit of Ezekiel in these last days. If, yes, stand to your feet and give God praise for that promise. Give him praise, believe him. Accept it, Lord, as truth. Let the interpreter speak now. If I had your way, so will you arise in this day? There is victory in this house. Do not look back. Go forward and believe the manifestation of freedom and victory in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We give God praise. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If we're going to have an anointing of Ezekiel, if we're going to have the spirit of Ezekiel, let's study and see what kind of a man Ezekiel was. First of all, Ezekiel's name means God strengthens. The bottom line is in the message today is that no matter how bad or how dark things may seem to get or how things seem to appear, God strengthens. Did you hear that? No matter what's going to go on in your life, I'm here to tell you that God will strengthen you. It's not a time to fear because God has not abandoned us and he's empowering us to be the church that he's called us to be. Whatever God's called us to do here at the palace, it's not something that we're not able to do. It's something that he will enable us to do. There's no limit. There's no lack. There's no slack in the provision and the power of God. So we got to understand that what, with God, nothing is impossible. And God is equipping us to do what he's called us to do. And no wonder there's Paul that said, Philippians 4.13, that favorite old scripture that we quote and we don't even realize, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is by the strength of God. Folks, can I remind you, we are on the winning side. It doesn't matter what we face. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us uh, and he who died for us, which is Jesus Christ. Our future is a good future. Our hope is a good hope. And we declare that we are victors in Jesus Christ here today. Our own declaration declares that. If we are going to declare it, then let's start being victors. Can I have? Let's live victorious in Jesus Christ. This is what God told Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3. 
He says, Behold, I've made your face strong against their faces. I've made your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like an adamant stone, harder than flint. That's what my mom says and my wife says about me, you so hard-headed thing. Like an adamant stone, harder than flint. I have made your forehead. And if my, anybody tells you you're hard-headed, said, God made me that way. Amen. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. This is what God told Ezekiel. He said, don't be, and this is what he was saying in a nutshell, don't be timid. Don't be intimidated by them. And when they look at you, don't be intimidated by their looks. It's time for you to be stubborn. Time for you to be hard-headed in the faith. It's time for you to be rock solid. If there's ever one thing that I know, and that is that any time that I was scrapping as a boy in high school, that when we would stand toe-to-toe and get ready to go at it, if that man would ever, if you'd stare at him and he looked down, you done had him whipped. You done intimidated him. And if he stared at you and you looked down, you're intimidated if you couldn't look at him out of, Benjamin, come here for a minute. He's going to represent the rebellious house. Believe me, there have been many a times he'd been rebellious. He's a good boy now. But he represents the rebellious house, and this is what Ezekiel told him to do. What do you look down for, boy? He said, you put your forehead to their forehead. You look them in the eye, and don't you waver. He said, don't you be intimidated. Don't you look. You can go sit down, son. <laughs> They've seen enough of you in this sermon. If there's one thing I want you to know, it's time that we quit whining and grinding and why this ain't happening, why they ain't happening, what's going on, and well, I don't understand, and I got questions, and where's God at? And now it's time to stop all that foolishness. And no matter how dark it is, I'm Ezekiel. I have the strength of God. And it's time that when the darkness appears, you stand there, though you feel not a thing, and you stare the darkness down. Come on, somebody. It's time to be strong in the faith. It's time to have the mind of Christ. And it's time to look your enemy right smack dab in the eyeball to eyeball. Put your forehead to their forehead and let them know you're not playing games. and You're not backing up and you're not counting down and you're not running from the fight. You're ready to rumble. The church has got to get ready to rumble. Why is it that we can watch the UFC and that guy comes out with that voice? It's time to rumble! And everybody, whoa! And we do it in the church and everybody says, what's that about? I think what we need to do right now is show the enemy we're serious. Let's have a war path right now. Would you? It's time to rumble. Come on, you can beat that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Woo! Yeah, that's the spirit I'm talking about. That's the spirit of Ezekiel right there.
Now let me ask you a question. When all hell comes against you, you're going to be able to do that in the privacy of your own home? Are you going to be able to exercise when no one else is out there to exercise it with you? Hey, this is what I'm talking about. It needs to be every Sunday, this kind of energy. We don't need to wait for the song service to get to a certain. Every day we are to create this. You know what's going to happen. Folks, whether you feel it or not, bring it in. Be an imitator of Jesus Christ. Let's rumble in this place. Let's get the spirit of Ezekiel stirred up among us. And then he said, eat my scroll. Go tell them this saith the Lord. Now here's the mandate. We like this other part, but there's a mandate of how to fight. And he says, eat the scroll, go tell them, this saith the Lord. This is the same mandate that God has given to the remnant church in these last days. It's a great commission that Jesus gave, go ye. It's the same, but none of us are really actively doing that. We're to eat and feed upon the word of God, the bread of life, by reading it and meditating it out of the scripture. And then after we do that, we're not just to be fat and flourishing, fat sheep saying, whoa, look at me, I know the word. But then we're to go speak it forth. Preach it. Proclaim it. Forty-nine times in the book of Ezekiel alone, Ezekiel said these words. The word of the Lord came to me and said. Forty-nine times God spoke to Ezekiel through the word of God. You know what we need? We need to know the word well enough that God can use the word to speak to us. Amen. It's no accident right now that my wife, man, felt a burden and she came to me. What do you think? Can I do this? I said, yeah, like, right. I'm going to say, no, you can't do it. That's a trick. That's a loaded question. Can I do this? At the first of the year, I feel the Lord saying this. Well, when you begin to say, I feel the Lord saying this, it's already tied my hands. Amen. And I, of course, the Lord did bear witness with me. But she was adamant way, way back there. We got to get the people in the word this year. I, I, I'm telling you, we got to get them in the word. And she said, we got to get a campaign to where we read the word of God through this year. That's no accident that we're doing it. You know why? Because God's preparing us. We're the remnant church. We're not only hear the word of God, but we must respond to the word and declare it, speak it, preach it, teach it, share it. Or this nation's not going to be saved because the only thing that can save the nation is transforming by the word of God. It's the only thing that's going to work, folks. Through, though Ezekiel started out according to the traditions and the pattern and the protocol of life, Ezekiel was Jewish, blue blood, upper class all the way, man. Look at, look at him. Ezekiel was from the priestly order of the Zadokites, whose ancestry dated all the way back to Eleazar, the son of Aaron, who was of the priestly order. Ezekiel was not old enough to be a priest at this particular time of our text, because he had to be the age of 30 years old and he was only in his 20s. But at this time, he was probably functioning at the time as a priest that was attached to the Jerusalem um, temple staff because he was in training. He was in training to become that priest. That was allotted to him by blood secession. It was an automatic thing. He was going because of the lineage of where he come from. He was going to be one of the priests of Israel. And Ezekiel comes on the scene during the destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian captivity. How unfair this is. In 606 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, invaded Jerusalem and he deported at that time, that first wave, Daniel and other princes of Judah to Babylon, including those three Hebrew children called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And this act was the beginning of a period that had been predicted and prophesied 200 years earlier by the prophet Isaiah and also by the prophet Micah. Micah and Isaiah both 200 years earlier, that prophecy went out from them guys and it didn't happen until 200 years later. But it happened to the very detail of what they said. God had warned the children of Judah, but they wouldn't listen. Did you know that God will always warn his people? There will never be a time that evil will surprise the child of God because God always forewarns us of impending danger. That's his job. He does us. He will do that. The Holy Spirit's here to lead and guide us into all truth. That's the job of the Holy Ghost. If the enemy catches us off guard, it's not God's fault. It's because we were asleep and we weren't listening because God will always forewarn. When you said, man, I didn't see that coming. You know what you just admitted? You were asleep. You admitted you were drowsy. You were slothful. When you say, oh, man, well, you know what? God forewarns you. There's times I don't know exactly what's going on because God don't always just spill it out. But in my gut, I know, get ready, Jenny. We're in for about something ain't right. Jenny will come to me, Kent, there's just something about that person. Or, Kent, there's something about something about the service this week. You know, we know that there's something to, because there's, there's a warning. There's alarms that go off in our spirit. And the same thing ought to be happened to every single one of us as individuals. Can I have an amen? Been time God's woke me up in the middle of the night to pray for my children or my grandchildren. I earnestly have to get up and just lay there and, and I got to get up and I got to pray that because there was impending danger that was approaching them. I didn't know what it was. That sometimes I did know what it was. One time when Benjamin was a little boy, God woke me up in the middle of the night and said, listen on the phone, your boy's in trouble. Two o'clock in the morning, I picked it up and was listening into a conversation. He didn't know I was on the other end. Nothing was bad said, but it was a boy that did not have good influence over my son. And I walked in and I said, you been on the phone? No. I guarantee you he can remember that night. God wakes us up and he warns us of impending judgment. And there's times when my children have been spared from great danger as a result of a forewarning to their father and their father get up and intercede and plead the blood over them. Come on. And the same thing they're doing to their children, the same thing they've done for me. Amen. God's warning America now. But are we listening? And if we are listening, if we are hearing it, men like me's up preaching it, and if we are hearing it, then what are we doing? Are we repenting? Are we really eating the scripture like a scroll, getting it breaded in us, and then are we proclaiming it? Are we going out? Are we sharing it? Are we telling our story? Then there was a second wave of warfare that happened, and Lord have mercy. I might not even get, yeah, I got time. There's a second wave of warfare that happened in 597 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem again, and he deported King Jehoiakim of our text, along with Ezekiel and 10,000 nobles, princes, and priests. So there's over 10,000 of them deported and taken into captivity into Babylon. The second wave took place 11 years after the first wave, giving Judah ample time to repent, but to no avail. Can I tell you, this also could have been avoided, this second wave, if Judah would have only heeded the word of the Lord. They had 11 years. There's a lot of things that we could avoid and could be avoided 
if we would only listen and obey the voice of God. Amen? You're going through things, some of you right now, that could have been avoided if you'd just been alert. There's a lot of things this church is going through. If I would have been, we've all missed the voice of God at times. Now here's Ezekiel, instead of rich and famous, he's now poor and exiled due to the moral failure of his countrymen and the corruption of his leaders. He's fell under the judgment of that nation and he's carried away into exile, into captivity. Now can you imagine? Man, I was supposed to be a priest. Everything that he was hopeful of is stripped from him as a young man. How would you react? I'm to, I'm to be a priest, man. I've got it set in order. And man, I'm to be uh, revered. I'm to be a man of renown. I'm to be looked up to. I'm the one that carries the weight of the nation upon the. I've got to do the sacrifices right. And I've got to work through everything just perfectly. I'm the man that brings uh, salvation to the place. But now all that's stripped from him. He's no longer going to be that man because he's nothing more than an exile, a captivity in bondage in a foreign land. How would you feel? Here's a young man in normal training getting ready to go into the ministry. And God says, ah, I've got something else in mind. I've got a better training for you. We see in chapter 1 of Ezekiel that it is here while he's in exile, in captivity, living in Babylon, Babylon that God visits him. I like that. Did you know in, it's in this chapter that we see that Ezekiel has a vision at the river Chabar in Babylon. God appears to him in a foreign land. And sometimes God has to take you out of your familiarity and your comfort zone so that he can talk to you and show you things. Sometimes God has to take you out of where you're at in order to get you to where he wants you to go. Sometimes God has to cause havoc in order to get your attention. Some of you are sitting there and you wouldn't have to go through some of the things you're going through, but God has to allow it to happen in order to get your attention to let his perfect will be done in your life. And he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. So he creates circumstances. It is here by the river Chabar, which means heavens opened. And this is the only place that this phrase is used in the whole entire Old Testament. Ezekiel has a one-time experience that no one else, heavens opened up to him. And literally, this man Ezekiel saw directly the very throne room of God himself. And he had an intimate encounter with him. And you can go and read about all the wheels and the fires and all that kind of stuff that it's represented. Sometimes God speaks to you better in your bondage than he does in your freedom. And some of my greatest experiences with God as a pastor was when I was in my times of test and my times of trouble and my times of trial. It's there that I seek him more than I've ever sought him. And it's there that I get more interested in what he's got to say. And it's there that I've got a more keen ear to hear. Did you know that your deepest warfare, you can have a heaven open encounter with God? I don't know what everybody's going through, but I don't care how bad it is. There is an open heaven waiting for you. Amen. Just because things are hindered and fought and suppressed, what we're going through right now, and nothing is coming easy, and there seems to be a lack of liberty, there seems to be a lack of freedom. I don't know if y'all are feeling that. I've been feeling that for a long time. Yet it doesn't mean that you can't have an encounter with God and that God has closed his eyes and ears upon us. Some of the greatest experience the apostles had well, while they were in prison, bound, shackled, and beaten, look at Peter. He sees and talks to angels. And, and Paul and Silas experienced supernatural earthquakes when they were freed from their prisons. Amen? Holy visitation can happen in your foreign land because I want to tell you something. God is not confined to one place.
Unlike the territorial demons and unlike the territorial devil who is the prince in the power of air that goes to and fro throughout the earth, roaming around, God don't roam around. He's everywhere at all times. He's omnipresent. Amen. There ain't a wall. China's wall can't hold him out. Russia's communism cannot hold him out. Come on, somebody. Woo! And I want to tell you, there's not a principality, there's not a power in any nation or any form, and all of them accumulated together cannot stop God from moving upon his children. Hallelujah. Holy visitations happen in your foreign land, in your captivity time. He can move on the mountaintop, and he can move in the valley. He can move in the good times, he can move in the bad times. He can move in the sanctuary, and he can move in your deepest pit. That's why David said he delivered me out of the horrible pit and put me upon a rock and established my goings. Now, it's in chapter 2 that the Bible says that the Spirit entered into Ezekiel, and it is here where God calls him to become a prophet. Now, notice something. His whole life was slotted to be a priest, but now God says, you're not going to be just a priest. You're going to be a prophet. Wow. What do you mean I'm going to be a prophet? If this encounter would have never happened, Ezekiel would have just followed protocol his whole life, fulfilling what was expected of him out of tradition and duty by his loved ones, and he would have missed the true calling of God. If nothing of this sort would have happened, Ezekiel would have never went into the prophetic ministry. He would have remained the priest and been happy, being rich, feeling like, man, I'm really working for God. When in reality, he missed it altogether because God didn't want him just to be a priest. He wanted him to be a prophet. What's God wanting you to do that you can't see right now? God's got to put you through some tests to kind of knock some things off to reveal it to you. Amen? It's getting quiet now. What happened to all the shouting? It's time to quit trying to meet all the expectations that people put upon you. And it's time to rip off all the labels, the titles that people have tagged us with. And it's time to rise up and be what God's called us to be. If there's one thing I want you to know, every time a young lady or a young man gets saved and they get on fire for God, don't go saved because they're on fire for God. Oh, you're called to preach. Don't do that. Everybody says just when they see someone on fire, oh, there's a special one. That guy or that girl must be called to preach. The truth of the matter is every single one of us is to be like that. On fire. The fire is not the indicator of just called to preach. But what happens is that even if that person is called to preach, they always have struggle because they hear the voices of man and they're always wondering, was it God calling me or was it mama calling me? Let God call his people. He knows how to. And when God speaks to them, they'll know without a shadow of a doubt. It ain't because there's 50 people telling them, oh, this is what God's called you to. Quit trying to put callings on people's lives. I never do that. People ask me, what do you think my call is? I said, you got, you'll have to hear that for yourself. And even a lot of times I know what it is. Don't put titles on people. It messes them up. Amen. That's good pastoring. The church needs to quit looking at the latest fads and quit following all the different voices that they hear. We need to quit comparing what everyone else is doing or what they're not doing. We're always looking and comparing and searching and what that church is doing, what that preacher's saying, what this is saying. We get all these voices and ideas in our heads and we go crazy. A lot of people get undoctrinally sound because, well, this one says once in grace, always good. This one says no, it's not. And this one says, and before long, you got a people that's, I believe a little of this, believe a little of that, and, believe, and they become a believer of nothing. Amen? Amen? We need to quit comparing what everyone else is doing and what everyone is not doing. And we have to hear what God is speaking to us and follow that with all of our heart. 
We have to realize while Ezekiel was preaching and prophesying to the captives, Daniel was ministering and prophesying to the royal court of Babylon, and Jeremiah was prophesying to Jerusalem to them that were left, to them that had not been carried off into captivity. So you see, each and every one of these prophets had their own ministry, their own message, and they had their own audience. Amen? Our problem is we see someone like, oh, I want to be like Daniel. Ezekiel said, I want to be like Daniel. Not that we have influence. Of course, uh, you can see the influence of Jeremiah in Ezekiel because a lot of the things that happen are, are very close. But I want to tell you, quit trying to be like everybody else and be yourself. Learn from them, glean from them, but don't try to take on their calling and their anointing. Ask David, you can put on Saul's armor, but it don't fit. You got to find it for yourself. Amen? When it seemed like the prophecies of these last days didn't match Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel, when they think, man, they don't match, they don't seem to coincide with each other, it's because they were to different people. It is only in your own calling that we can represent Jesus Christ to be all that God wants us to be. God laid it upon my heart that he wanted to give us an Ezekiel anointing and an Ezekiel word to us. That doesn't mean that every church is going to receive that same mandate. I'm not going to try to compare myself to the Assemblies of God or the Nazarenes or, the, or any other church. This is the call that God's laid on us. Now, I got to fulfill it. I don't care what anybody else is doing. Oh, did you see what they're doing down there? I don't care. I've got a mandate on my own. I'm not to fulfill that mandate. And if you'll look at Jeremiah and if you'll look at Ezekiel and if you look at Daniel out of the three prophets, which one would you have rather been? You'd rather been Daniel. He's ministering the royal court. He's being treated like royalty. Ezekiel's being treated okay, but don't be Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, going around prophesying and preaching, not having any converts, thrown in jail, and everything else. Thrown in a pit. But the problem of it is I can't pick and choose which one of those callings that I'm going to follow after. I got to follow after the calling and the mandate that God's placed upon me. Hey Amen. Is that not good preaching? I'm pastoring here. We're getting ready. And like other prophets in Scripture, Ezekiel's anointing and calling was unique in the sense that his life and ministry carried certain characteristics that was only typically tied to Christ. There's so many symbolisms between Ezekiel and Jesus. It's amazing. I don't have time to get into them all. For example, the Son of Man occurs 100 times in Ezekiel alone, which was a title applied to Ezekiel himself. 100 times in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was called the Son of Man. There's no other prophet referred to that I could find anywhere in Scripture as the Son of Man. The other only title that I found as the Son of Man was given to Jesus Christ, and it was given to him as a description to us of his humanity. Everything Jesus done in his earthly ministry, he done as a man and not as God. He done as the Son of Man. Therefore, it was by the enablement of the Spirit in which he accomplished the things that he did. He didn't pull from his divine nature in order to cast out devils. He submitted a fleshly life like you and I have to do to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, through that fleshly life, cast the demon out. There's a big difference. I don't have a divine nature to pull from, so I'm in trouble if I have to follow. But I do have the same spirit that Jesus has because if that same spirit lives inside of me, he shall also quicken my mortal body. So the symbolism here in Ezekiel is that Ezekiel is a man 
And he will only accomplish his ministry by the strength of God when God gives him divine ability and by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He is not going to be able to do it through his raw talent and by his lineage to where he come from. He does not carry over the authority of priesthood in order to get it done. It has to come from God himself. Our ministry must be anointed by the Holy Spirit, which we'll get into next week. Another messianic title reflected by Ezekiel is found in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. I won't read it because of time. This speaks of Ezekiel as a shepherd who gathers his scattered flock, Judah. Judah's a very rebellious house. God calls them stiff-necked. He calls them stubborn. He He calls them some bad names. What if you had a pastor that come along and said, you're stubborn old thing, you. That's the kind of message Ezekiel preached under the anointing of God. This speaks of Ezekiel as a shepherd who gathers his flock, though he was seen, he loved them. God gave him a love inside of his heart. In the New Testament, the book of John 10, 11 through 16, we see that Jesus is referred to as the good shepherd. Jesus looked at the people with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus became the good shepherd. Another comparison of Ezekiel to Christ is Ezekiel was that prophet, priest, and preacher. Ezekiel was a preacher. He was a priest by right, but he also was a prophet. Did you know that Jesus, that's called the three Ps. We got the three Ps in the church. We got actually four. Preacher, palace, PP, and popper bluff. Anybody else think of anything else? Jesus was a prophet, priest, preacher, and yet he was something else, king. There was no other prophet or priest combination and the rest of the prophets except that of David. And David was not really recognized as a prophet, but he wrote prophecies. David was not really recognized as a priest, but he went into the temple and took of the showbread and he offered incense. Come on, he was the only king that got by with that. David was typical of Christ in that he was served as priest, prophet, preacher, and king. But Ezekiel carried with him a unique anointing that was like that of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, how many of you want the anointing like Ezekiel? Come on, how many want it? How many want to be used like that of Ezekiel? Raise your hand, I want to see it high. How many want to, you really want to be used like that of Ezekiel? He was, you know, you might say that Ezekiel would have fit with the 21st century church because he used illustrated sermons a lot to get his point across. Amen. He didn't have PowerPoint, but he had illustrations. He was creative. He was talented. I guess you might say he was contemporary within his time. How many of you want to be talented, gifted, creative, and contemporary and be able to be used in illustrated sermons like that of Ezekiel? Raise your hand. Do you really? Those of you that balked, I can understand why. Ezekiel had to lay on his side a few hours each day for 390 days to represent the iniquity of the northern kingdom. 390 days he had to sit there and lay on his side. He laid on his right side a few hours each day for 40 days to depict the iniquity of the southern kingdom. So he had on the right side for 390 days and then 40 days on his left side. Each day represented a year and the two of them totaled 430. 390 days for the northern kingdom, 40 for the southern kingdom, totals to 430. And isn't it interesting that it's exactly 430 years from Ezekiel's captivity in 597 B.C. to the Maccabean revolt in the book in 167 B.C. And this is when the Jews again exercised rules over the land of Palestine. It happened 430 years exactly to the illustrated sermon that Ezekiel put forth. God help us. Ezekiel was told by God to prepare food made. With mixed grains, I like this, 
and baked over human dung to indicate the coming scarcity of food in Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar's final reign. Here's God, and he says, take you some mixed grains, prepare them, and he said, get you some human dung, put it on a fire, and cook your food over that human dung. Now, how do you mean you like to do that? You said, you want to be like Ezekiel. Oh, it don't stop there. And then God says, eat it. Woo! Getting interesting, isn't it? God says, now I want you to take it, and I want you to eat it, old prophet. And the prophet Ezekiel's pretty wise. This is what he said. Oh, Lord God. Behold, my soul has not been polluted. For from my youth up even till now have I not eaten of that which dieth of itself or is torn in pieces, neither came there abominational flesh in my mouth. Oh, don't make me do this. I've never earned this right. I've never had anything abominable in my mouth. I've kept the law. And then God said, okay, I'm going to give you a break. Instead of human dung, use cow dung. So Ezekiel has to prepare this meal, bake it, cook it over cow dung, and then he has to eat it as an illustrated sermon to the people. You still want to be like Ezekiel? Now hold on, I'm going to make you a little scared. God's given us the anointing and God's given us the power and the spirit of Ezekiel. I'm just I'm setting you up for next week. Listen to me, folks. There's a price to pay for the kind of anointing that he had. There's a price to pay for the kind of anointing that breaks strongholds of a nation, of a church, of a city, of a home, of an individual. We say we want it, but we, do we really want to pay the price? We say that we want it, but the anointing is heavy. It's burdensome. It's weighty. There's nothing like the anointing, but I want to tell you something. It's costly to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel then was told, shave your head, boy, or shave your beard. So he shaved his beard, and he shaved his head with a sharp sword, it says. Then he divided the hair into three equal parts. One-third he burned, one-third he cut up with a sword, and one-third he cut in the wind. Now, what if I come up here with an object lesson today? I'm going to do an illustrated sermon. I take a sword. That's what he done. He took a sword and cut his beard and everything with a sharp sword in front of everybody as an illustration. One-third of the hair that he cut off, he burned. One-third he cut up with a sword, and one-third he scattered to the wind. This indicated that one-third of Jerusalem would die by fire in the final siege. One-third would fall by the sword, and the remaining ones would be scattered abroad. And even though that he had already been two different ways, there had been two different ways where Nebuchadnezzar had carried off these great people, there would be a final time when he would come and he would literally destroy Jerusalem. And there would be one-third of those people under Jeremiah that was left there in Jerusalem after this final conflict. One-third of them would be left, but yet they, one-third of them would be burned, one-third would be scattered, and one-third of them would be killed by sword, not one of them would remain. God says when, as, when, when the captivity comes, this time there's not going to be a captivity, not going to be carried off to Babylon. One-third of them is going to be burned. 
One third of them is going to be cut up by a sword. And one third of them is going to be scattered to the four corners of the earth. They're going to be vagabonds, Jews crying out in a strange land. Ezekiel 12, Ezekiel trembled when he ate his food. He drank ration water as though like Jerusalem under seed would be their last. And that very thing that Jerusalem would be experiencing, Ezekiel had to live it out and do an illustration before they ever did see it. Ezekiel said, I have to go through this in order to give you an object lesson. Why was that fair? How's that fair? Now look, guys, there are things and prices to pay in ministry that people don't understand. He had to live it before they did. Do you still want that anointing of Ezekiel? He had to identify with the people that he ministered to just like Jesus did when he took on human flesh, became our high priest so he could be touched with the feeling of all of our infirmities. The minister feels the pains of the people. He identifies with their sin. He suffers right along with them. When one suffers, he suffers. Ezekiel 21, Ezekiel slashed about in the air with a gleaming sword. And with sobbing, he beat upon his thigh to indicate the fertility of Judah that no matter what happens, they're doomed. Here's what he done. He took a sword and he was just beating the air with it. I tear in the middle of everybody. And everybody's, what, what's this prophet doing? He's going around with a sword doing this. Then he'd stop me. He'd beat his, he'd beat his hip and cry. <laughs> just sobbing. One of Kent Miller began to just come into the church and my whole message was, That's what he done. People are like, what's wrong with that raging idiot? Oh, he wasn't a raging idiot. He was a man under the anointing with an illustrated sermon that's saying, boys, it's like when you go to war, you're gonna, your sword's going to be beating the air. You're not going to have any success. And I'm sobbing because you're going to lose. It's quiet again. You still want to be Ezekiel? Oh, let me go on. I feel something right there. Oh. Ezekiel then filled a pot of boiling water with choice meats, T-bone, ribeye, pork loin. Come on, somebody. Woo. He filled the pot with boiling water with choice meats until the, fle- uh, until the flesh fell from the bones. He cooked it. All of a sudden, the bones just cooked off of them. There's that good meat. You know what he done then in front of everybody? He took the meat and threw it away, threw the bones away, and he baked the pot until it was empty. This was to illustrate complete destruction of even the rich and the noble in Jerusalem, that there was going to be famine and starvation. How many of you, want to, how many of you like to share that kind of a sermon? Do you think it would be number one on social media? Do you think your preacher would be proper? Do you think your church would grow under this kind of a man doing these kinds of things? How many do you think his church would really be? So what I'm trying to tell you is this. It don't take something popular to be right. Everybody else is calling him weird, crazy, dumb, stupid. Look at the wild man out there acting crazy. And yet everything that he was doing was under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But the rebellious people's eyes were shut and they could not detect that it was from God. That's where our country's at right now. 
The last illustration I will use, he's had others, but it's one that I don't really understand. It's one of the saddest ones in scriptures, and I don't like it. It's one that bothers me more than any other of the illustrations, and it literally actually confuses me to a certain extent. Ezekiel did not express any outward grief. He had to keep it on the inside over the death of his beloved wife. She died the very day Jerusalem was destroyed. He did not weep as a sign, an illustration, God told him to, that God did not weep when his wife Judah was destroyed. God says to Ezekiel, you can't weep over your wife because that's going to be a symbol to the people, an illustration to the people that I'm not going to weep over them when they die. My belly's full. Judgment's ripe. And I'm not going to weep. God would use Ezekiel's own personal life to illustrate a message from, to, to Judah. I get, tell people all the time, and people ask me all the time, is the ministry really personal? You bet it is because it affects the ministry and minister personally. This thing affected Ezekiel. Amen? Everybody wants to be these great men of God. Well, I want to tell you, there's a price to pay to be a great woman or a man of God. I used to tell ministers, and I still do, to try to help them as much as I can to encourage them. Don't take it personal. I want to tell you something. <laughs> Even though I tell people, it is personal. It's personal when a preacher gets up with a warning of the Holy Spirit in his heart and he begins to preach his heart out and everybody, amen, amen, and go on like nothing ever even happened. They never even heeded to it. And every, it's like, well, they don't believe the word you said. It bothers a pastor to preach his heart out, prepare, study, and pray, and people, you know, talk about how important church attendance is and how important it is to be involved. And, and yet people, amen, amen, they're only here every once and every other week, and it's like they don't pay attention to one word you're saying, and you say, I take that personal. It hurts. Come on, somebody. It's real stuff. And yet we get up and we preach sermons like this. And man, that was just a great sermon. But we got to hear the content of it. God's calling America to judgment. And I want to tell you the only hope is that there will be a people that will rise up under the spirit of Ezekiel, under the spirit and the power of his anointing, and declare and to preach and to pray and to be willing to step out and be a fool for Jesus Christ. Oh, God. It's going to take a radical remnant. It's going to take supernatural, out of the ordinary kind of things to bring results. You know why? Because our country is entrenched right now with principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness that's never, ever been in our borders before. And it's going to take some weird, strange, supernatural, unordinary things happen in the church to break the bondage. Are you willing to be looked ignorant and foolish for Christ? The things that Ezekiel done were weird. They were extreme. They were out in left field, but they were anointed of God. And God spoke to me and said, I'm trying to find a church that I can work the supernatural, unordinary, weird things because it's going to take those kinds of things to get the attention of a nation. And it's going to take the raw anointing of God, the raw anointing like Ezekiel, to break bondages. They got to see the, the, the manifestation and the illustration of the works of God in the midst of the house. Can I have an amen? 
Oh, hallelujah. And let me say one other thing, and then I'm going to close. I'll finish this. I'll finish this sermon next week. The call of God to be a prophet came to Ezekiel when he was 30 years old. This was five years after the revival arrival at Tel Aviv. He had been in captivity for five years before the call of God came. Five years, did you hear me? Five long years, he heard nothing from God. Five years, he sat there in captivity. And then after five years, he hears the word of the Lord and has an encounter with him, and God calls him to be a prophet. And just because you've been somewhere long-term and God hasn't moved doesn't mean he isn't going to move. And let me tell you, just because you've been bound and you're going through some tough situations and you've been there a long, long, long time does not mean that that's to remain for the rest of your life. The woman with the issue of blood had it 12 years before she was cleansed. The man that was healed at the gate, of, I mean, at the pool of Bethesda, laid there for 38 years. The grown man of John chapter 8 was born blind from his youth, and he wasn't healed by Jesus until he was a grown man. So there are there's seasons, there's a, there's a timing in God. If you think your dilemma's been long, just think of the children of Israel. It says that after 400 years, God heard their cry, and then he delivered them. So we said, oh, he ain't moved in a month. How would you like 400 years? Would you still hold the faith? God's about to break loose, but it's going to take time. It's in his season. Don't faint. Be faithful. God's want me to tell this congregation, be not weary in well-doing. You shall reap if you faint not. Hang in here. It's not over till it's over. It's not done until it's done. Did you know after Ezekiel was called to be a prophet, he didn't prophesy for three years? He didn't say, oh, I'm called to preach. I'm going to hit the evangelism field. Oh, I'm going to start me a church. No, three years. He didn't do anything. His ministry didn't become renowned overnight. Neither are we going to become renowned overnight. We're going to test the waters one or two times. We're going to say, well, I tried it and it didn't work. Where's God at? What kind, of a, what kind of a mentality is that? I want to tell you, folks, there's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of gleaning. There's a lot of growing. There's a lot of sweat and tears in this thing. But if we'll keep on keeping on, God's going to bring about the Ezekiel anointing that's going to break the yoke and the bondage of this land. Did you know that Ezekiel's total ministry was over a span of 22 years? And did you know with all of the prophecies that he gave out, how many knows that there's a lot of prophecies in the book of Ezekiel, a lot of, a lot of them. But did you know there was a span of 13 years where he gave no prophecy at all? We want these prophets who people say, I wonder what the prophets are saying today. Like the prophets is going to give you a, a word every single day. This guy got called to become a prophet, waited three years before he started, and then he started prophesying, and the Lord began to use him. But there came a span of 13 years where the man never uttered a word of prophecy. Out of the 22 years of his ministry, he only prophesied in nine of them. And we want a word every single day from some kind of a prophet to give us an answer to what to do. We have to have faith. We have to have patience. And we have to plead. But we have to believe. we got to keep on doing what we know to do. And when we've done all that we know to do, all we are to do is stand. God is with us. Our hope is bright. Our future is bright. Don't cave in. Don't be weary and well-doing. God's not done with us yet. It's not over yet. Though the... Though the, the night seems long. There's joy that's coming in the morning. I'm here to tell you, an Ezekiel anointing is about to fall upon the church. Would you stand with me, please?
Ha! What happened to the spirit of Ezekiel? Do I hear a rumble in the house? I said, do I hear a rumble in the house? Do I hear a rave, man? Come on. Yeah, somebody's got it right there. Somebody had the spirit of Ezekiel. Come on, do I hear a rumble in the house? Come on, keep it going. Keep it going. Are we warriors? Are we ready? How many's forehead is like flint? Come on. How many's not going to be ashamed and not going to be intimidated by what people say? Have you ever been at a table and someone say something, and you, even though it's wrong and it's carnal and the worldly, and you're too intimidated to say, hey, that ain't right? Ben, come back. Represents the spirit of Baal. Come here, Jen. No, not you. No, I'm not going to do that. That'd get me in serious trouble. Myrna, come here, baby. Myrna loves me. He represents the spirit of Baal in the world. She represents Jezebel. Sorry, hon. We're going, to get you, we're going to get that thing cast out and you saved here before the service is over. I'm just joking. God is saying, oh, we're the palace of praise. This is the real influences that's coming against us. Come here, Mike. Yeah. You get to play a good part. See, he's a part of the member of the church. I'm the preacher of the church. The thing of it is, is me and him are not at odds. Me and him are yoked together. We're not fighting with each other. We may have differences of opinions, but we're not letting that get in our way. Me and him don't agree on anything. No, I shouldn't say that. We don't agree on some things. But look, we're in unity. We're brothers. We're friends. We call each other. When all of you are asleep, me and this man talks. Poor Connie. And here's the thing. We got to quit paying attention to what's going on here. And me and him's got to be activating what we are to do. Forehead to forehead. Eye to eye. Man, she's tough. You can say whatever you want, but I want to tell you that enemy's not afraid to stare you down. That enemy ain't, ain't that ain't afraid to provoke you. The apostle Paul said, "Man, I like to come to you, but Satan did hinder me." He even talked about Satan buffeting. If the apostle Paul can be hindered and buffeted, what do you think we can do? I'm here to tell you, God's saying, I'm going to do a special work among this congregation. I'm going to make your forehead like an adamant stone. I'm going to make your face like an adamant stone. And he says, you put your forehead to the forehead, and don't you be intimidated, and don't you doubt. You know what God's looking for? You know what the world's looking for? I want to tell you what they're looking for. They're looking for a leader that has confidence. I'm getting ahead of my notes. 
But the whole theme of Ezekiel is that all through the thread of it, it is that God, and this is going to be a next week's sermon, is that God begins to speak to Ezekiel and says, Oh, that you may know me, O Judah. The whole thing that God's put the anointing on Ezekiel for is for the people through him to come to know God. And I'm here to tell you, the anointing of Kent Miller and the ministry of Kent Miller and the ministry of the Palace of Praise is an anointing of Ezekiel not to build a reputation, not to build a name, not to get, oh, great reviews on the Internet, not to become popular upon social media. Our number one goal is that people may come to know who God is. If all that other stuff happens, it happens, but that ain't what we're in it for. We're not in it for the glitter and the glamour and the show and the prestige and the power and the popularity. We're in it for the raw purpose of God, that men and women can come to know God. But they're looking for a people that's confident, that know who they are, and that can lead with integrity and boldness and authority who's not afraid, who's not a sissy and intimidated and feminine. I refuse to be a pastor like this. And I'm not making fun of anybody. I just, I just don't believe it's biblical. Okay, church, y'all have a good day today and we'll see you Sunday. May the Lord bless you. And remember to tell somebody about the love of Jesus. You're saying, man, why did you throw that in? You're going to get a lot of reviews. I may get a lot of reviews on that. We need some men with boldness. We need men to equip themselves like men. We don't need henpecked, controlled freaks like Ahab over a Jezebel having control over him. We need a spiritual John Wayne that gets in and says, I'm the Duke. We need a Clint Eastwood anointing. Come on, make my day. I'm rattling now. I'm here to tell you it's time to be real. (laughs) I feel it in my spirit. Woo! We need an Ezekiel anointing. And we almost lost the rumble the second time when I come back. I had to come back and folks, I can't keep doing that. We gotta have it automatically. Sunday next Sunday morning, John needs to hear a rumble. We need to, you know what? We need a rumble so loud that we can't even understand what he's singing. Amen? You'd be all right with that, wouldn't you, John? That rumble of act of glory and adoration and confidence that we're worshiping our God and that we're here for war and we're here for battle. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let the church of Jesus Christ arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let the palace of praise arise and let his enemies be scattered. I, I, I wasn't going to do this, but I, I, I just feel led to. I want everybody to come up the will. That's going to be a part of the warrior camp. If you're a part of the warrior camp, I want you to come.
I don't know about you, but I'm, I miss the days when God would pour out in strange ways and people think, what in the world? Back in the early days, there were the Jericho marches and all the different kinds of churches, the Presbyterian and the Lutheran and the Baptist and the Catholic. Say, so what's them weird people? They're down there rolling in the floors, howling like dogs. And man, they're weird people. They're down there in the most sawdust floors, walling around in it, speaking in some kind of a weird language. A lot of times, some of the very own religious groups would go down and throw tomatoes at them, thinking that they were doing the cause of God because Pentecost was foreign. Come on. Old Brother Buckaloo in the Church of God would go preach, and he would preach, and they'd burn his tent down. So he'd go out on the ashes of that very place and clean it up, and that night, somehow, God would provide, and he'd put up another tent. They, tore, they burnt 10 tents, I think it was, old Brother Buckaloo done. I think only just a handful of times did he have to preach on open air. And to this day, right there where old Brother Buckaloo preached, we have one of the biggest church of God that's been a flourishing church and that has never slumbered and kept its call and its identity. After almost 80 years or ever how many years, it's still standing true and it's still a strong because of an old man by the name of Buckaloo who said, you're not going to intimidate me. My head is like flint. My eyes is like flint. You're not running me off. You're not intimidating. They said, you keep it up. You're going to be thrown in jail. You know what he said? That I'll preach and scream out the window of the church or out of the jail. I will be who I will be. I'm not afraid. Do what you must, but I'm going to stand for Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Now, now that, that's, that, that's our heritage. You don't understand what our forefathers went through back in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s just so that you can have freedom in Pentecost. And now Pentecost has lost of zeal because of all the stupidness that went through it and, and the legalism and, and we've become cold and indifferent. We've lost the spirit, we've lost the, and we've lost our belief and we've compromised. We've let down our hedge. We've been stripped of our anointing and we don't recognize it. There's no signs, there's no wonder. We're bound and we're going around beating the air to no effect. And Ezekiel's are coming by in this last day saying, you're beating the air, but you're not having any results. And the prophets are weeping just like Jesus did over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how would I gather you? He gathers the chicks under my wings, but you would not. I sent you the prophets, but you stoned them, you killed them, you wouldn't listen to them. And as a result of them, Israel is lost to this very day. Very few Messianic Jews left in Israel. Most of them are either atheist or agnostic. I refuse to die. I'm getting older. Don't know how much more my ministry's got. As long as I live, I'm going to make an impact at Papa Bluff. This is my turf. This is where God called me. I'm not going down and somebody saying, man, he beat the air, but he didn't have no results. No, sir, we're going to have results. No, sir, we're going to have, we're going to have revival. No, sir, we're going to be a part of the way. We're going to be the catalyst. We're going to be the ones that's going to say, come and show, come on, come and follow me as I follow Christ. 
I'm not playing games. I've demoted my life to this thing. I don't golf anymore. I don't hunt anymore. I don't have time for anything. It's just study and prayer and agonizing and, 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 and trying to do the work of the ministry and try to think things through and try to be the best that I know to be. If God tells me to lay on my side for 390 days, I'm going to. If he tells me to lie on my side 40 days, I'm going to. If God tells me to shave my head, I'm he says, oh, God never tell you to do that. Well, he told his equal to. You want to know a real good one? He told Hosea, go out and marry a prostitute. So he could show Israel how that they prostituted against him being his wife. Illustrated sermon. Are you willing to let God speak to you and you step out on nothing and believe that the things he spoke to you is true and being confident to lead it through. And even though you don't have results for a season, you believe that they will come to pass. I've got a brother that I've been praying for for I don't know how long. That man will not go to the grave will not being saved. Been a long years. I get to talk to him. That's enough, he'll say. Or he'll get teary-eyed and get up and leave. I told you the story. I'll tell you it again just to remind you of the power of God. It seemed like I couldn't reach him because I'm family. You know how that is? And I pray God just send somebody by. Just, I even called preachers in the area. I called different denominations and said, man, would you go by and see my brother? He lives here. And not one preacher went and seen him that I know of. Not one congregation made a visit. Not one. I thought, well, they're not going to do it. The church ain't going to do it. So I start praying, God, I don't know who you're going to send, but would you send somebody? My brother's leaving Papa Bluff and going up 67 North to go home to Marble Hill where he lives, just right outside of town a little ways, somewhere in that area. There's a guy hitchhiking. He picks him up, and he tells me the story later on. He gets in. He said, all the way to Marble Hill, that man preached to me. And I kept saying, where do you want left out at? Well, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Marble Hill. That's where I'm going. That man didn't know where he was going. He said, he's going wherever I was going. He's going to preach sermons to me all the way. He said, I turned on 34. You sure you don't want out here at this intersection? No, I'm going. I'll go wherever you go. All the way to Marble Hill. That man preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to my brother. He gets out and he's under conviction for months over it. He said, one day, he said, I thought, man, I'm glad to get rid of that guy. He said, he came to my mind. I'm glad to get rid of that guy. So I get out of the car. I'm going to go into a bar and have me a good beer. I go in, I sit down, and I'm sitting there drinking beer, and here comes a guy down the sidewalk, looks, hey, what are you doing in here? It's that guy. And he said, I tried to enjoy a cold beer and couldn't even enjoy a cold beer because that guy sat there at the bar stool preaching to me until I got embarrassed and left. He ain't saved yet, but he's going to be. Whatever it takes, if I have to lay on my belly, if I have to, if I have to crawl across this, if I have to crawl and plead and beg down them aisles, whatever God leads me to do, I'm going to do it for the cause of Christ. I'm willing to look foolish because God's got to create extraordinary things in order to get the attention of a crowd. You know what? Another thing Ezekiel had to do. One of the illustrations I didn't get is that the people were so rebellious and they wouldn't listen. Then he'd clap his hands real loud and stomp his feet and yell just to get their attention. 
He'd get up to preach and everybody'd just be talking. They were unreverent. They wouldn't listen to him. He'd try to gather them. And all of a sudden he'd go, I'm up here. Man, that man went through a lot. We got everything we need. God strengthens. Let's do it in Jesus' name. I want you to commit your life to Christ in a better way than you ever have. And I want you to give the loudest rumble that you've ever given in your life and a passion to the Lord. And that'll be a sign I'm willing to take on the spirit of Ezekiel. Would you do it for me? Come on. Come on. you come tonight with the same expectancy I know brother Randy's got a message that's going to bless your soul I'll try to finish this message next Sunday morning God bless you we love you this morning